Previously on Newsbreak, Lotus FM. Four years ago, an image surfaced everywhere. Social media timelines, the front page of newspapers, TV news bulletins. It was an angelic face of a three-year-old toddler, baby Jamie. As adorable as that image was, the story that went with it was abominable. The following story contains graphic description which may upset sensitive people, including children. Baby Jamie was found beaten to death. Some told us that she was struck on the head, that her arm was broken. Some suggested she was raped. The Durban High Court heard that she endured a sustained period of abuse, the, that she was starved, hit, malnourished, and yes, the three-year-old girl was sexually abused. The last blow that is believed to have taken her life was from a high-heeled shoe. Her 34-year-old mother was the culprit. Her late grandmother was also complicit in these crimes. This week, the Durban High Court sentenced the woman, her mother, to 20 years in prison. Dris Liebenberg reports. Judge Mohini Moodley carefully weighed up each charge against baby Jamie's 34-year-old mother and made specific orders on which sentences should run concurrently and for what period. The three-year-old Chatsworth toddler died following prolonged abuse and starvation by her mother and grandmother. The grandmother passed away while the case was still being heard in court. Judge Moodley took into account that the mother functions at a mental age of 16 following a car accident. Quoting case law, Judge Moodley balanced the seriousness of the charges, the public interest and the possibility of rehabilitation. There is nothing to show that a lengthy period of imprisonment will not bring home the error of their ways. It would be unjust to impose a sentence, the effect of which is more likely to destroy than to reform them. The court has heard that baby Jamie was starved to the point that she would have died within months. It was, however, an assault by her mother with a high-heeled shoe that claimed her life in 2014. Each day her brother lived in fear that it could be his last day alive as several of the children were subjected to abuse and sexual assault. The boy told his teachers what was going on at home. He even ran away several times to rather sleep on the street than at home. However, the school's response was perfunctory and a social worker, alerted by neighbours, simply made a few home visits. Judge Moodley had scathing criticism for the social welfare system, teachers and the Chatsworth community who did not come to the rescue of baby Jamie. Community activist Rocky Naidu took to heart the judge's criticism of a lack of action to protect baby Jamie and her siblings from abuse. What also has come out very clear, society needs to be more vigilant. We need to watch our children. It doesn't matter whose child it is, because when there's signs of that, we must do the necessary and take the appropriate action to make sure it doesn't happen. The mother sat impassively in the dock as the court ordered that her other children remain in a children's home. I'm Dries Liebenberg in Durban. 
So there you go. That was, uh, I think, the um, the sentencing and the processes and the thought processes that uh, actually went into it. Well, I think nothing will bring back baby Jamie, but I think the responsibility now becomes protecting another toddler from such a fate. So let's talk about the lessons learned and how to handle instances of abuse. Now, there's been some scathing criticism against welfare and community organisations. So let's start there. I spoke to Logan Naidu. He's the chairperson of the Chatsworth Child Welfare about this criticism levelled against these welfare organisations. We, from the organisation, we are satisfied that justice has been done. It was very unpleasant to have heard the kind of abuse that the child was subjected to. But we always like to keep a balanced mind on all issues because generally in the community we become overwhelmed when this kind of situation arises and we don't look at the total picture. Now, the public may be aware because of the court processes. For example, the mother herself came from a background of having been in a foster home, having been abused, so on and so forth. And uh, in as much as that is not correct and it doesn't warrant any for her to have done what she did to her own child, the thing is when these kind of stars are put on an individual, it can have long-lasting effects. But we're happy that the matter has been dealt with. It has been adjudicated by a fair independent uh, institution, that being our court, and that due just justice has been served. I think one of the major pronouncements made at the Durban High Court was that um, the community could have done a lot more to step in and assist in this particular case. And, and, and your thoughts on that from a community perspective? Most definitely, uh, the community knew what was going on, but they chose to remain uh, silent about the issues. Ultimately, your job is to ensure that you know children are in the best um, space of welfare. And um, I think your organization itself was, the, this incident was brought to the attention of your organization. The criticism becoming that your organization was not swift enough to assist. I mean, how do you respond to that? Well, I mean, you know, if we were culpable or liable, the court would have dealt with that issue. Now, just as a matter of record, we never placed that child in that home. All we did was we monitored that matter after the placement. We have on our records uh, affidavits from neighbors that actually gave a glowing example of the mother and grandmother. So we are not there 24-7. Yeah, I think moving on then and trying to look at it from a solutions perspective now, Logan, I mean, ultimately an innocent child has lost her life. It can never be reclaimed or, or regained. But I think taking that lesson into account now, as per Judge Mohini Mudli saying that the community, um, you know, failed to take this issue forward and try and intervene. I think your advice then to community members, you know, if you know of an instance of abuse like this up your road, next door, anywhere, what do you do? Community cannot remain silent on these issues. Just this week, we were dealing with allegations of uh, abuse against a four-year-old child in Chester. Now, we do this on a daily basis. We go out and we assist on a daily basis. But it's shocking that the community did not bring this to our attention. We have to find it out. They must come forward. They must deal with the situation. Our lines are open all the time. They can remain anonymous. 
we, we, we will welcome that if they don't want to get educated on the And we will take up the schedules and where they are. So that was Logan Naidu from the Chats with Child Welfare. Well, we are, I think, you know, I, I, I think it's fitting. We've covered um, the story and the struggle of baby Jamie Naidu from about, you know, four years now. And we just felt it was uh, fitting to to conclude that that conversation. Well, I don't, I don't think you can conclude a conversation like this, but rather to, you know, find a solution now that this um, entire tragedy has gone through the judicial system. Uh, her mother, of course, sentenced to 20 years imprisonment now for um, sustained abuse and, and the murder of the child. And I think... I, I, th- I think one owes it to baby Jamie to find out what happens now, what happens next, and how then do you ensure that there's no other child, or rather, you know, you, you safeguard another child from going through something like this. That's our focus here today on Newsbreak Talk. Joining me today in studio to discuss um, this, uh, the baby Jamie tragedy, as we are referring it, uh, referring to it, um, is community activist Brandon Pillay and I think when I was covering this case as was many of my colleagues Brandon usually emerged as our first point of call because he was always at court always you know literally in the neighborhood there trying to come up with some sort of uh, strategy or intervention with regard to the tragedy so we felt it very fitting to have Brandon in studio today Brandon thanks for your time Thank you, Suresh. Good evening to the listeners and I think uh, you know as much as this um, as much as this was, you know, procedural, it was judicial, it was a process. We all knew it was at some, well, we hoped at some point it was going through, uh, through some sort of judicial process. But when it happened, I mean, it must have struck an emotional chord with you. You've been there from the start. Yeah, it, it, it was a, indeed very emotional. I think um, what was more emotional was when I was asked by the state prosecution to actually take the stand um, in mitigation of sentence. Um, and you know, this, it just had flashbacks of all the fervent images, um, and when you had to remember of what what had happened to this child, and I think it was quite explicit in terms of what I was saying. But yeah, um, and for me, I think from day one, I was saying that give baby Jamie a voice, um, and that's and that's basically what it was. And I was hoping that there will be justice at the end, and there'll be some kind of punishment. Um, while there might be debate around the sentencing, etc. But I think the important thing mm-hmm. is that there was a strong conviction. Yeah. Uh, and in doing so, I think it must be the, the investigating officer, um, Kevin Nair from Baby SAPS, as well as Cheryl Naidu, the advocate state prosecutor, I think they must be commended yeah. because they have done an exceptional job in, in ensuring that there was uh, a conviction. Yeah. You know, I mean, we want to get into that and I think, you know, take it forward. And of course, there are some criticisms that even emerged from Judge Mohini Mudli, which, you know, one cannot be, it, it cannot be ignored. If it was said in a court of law, it carries a lot of weight. Absolutely. But Brandon, I mean, to that time, you know, how did you hear of this? What was, what, what, did you know of the story prior? I was um, the ward counsellor yeah. um, of Ward 69 and, and Havenside is part of the mm. ward. Um, when I was called to say that there is a child that had passed on and, and you know, a three-year-old, uh, but not any details. So irrespective of what had happened, I was concerned and wanted to be there just to find out what was going on. To my surprise, um, I think it took me by shock to find out that the mother and the grandmother are the result of this child's death. 
I couldn't fathom that. Yeah. And I think nobody in, in the community, not just in Chatsworth, but I think the whole country, and I think it even reached international because I yeah. had people you know, contact me on Facebook. But I think everybody was shocked because how does one who is entrusted with having to take care and protect a minor then causes harm to the extent of where to the extent of where the child then loses her life um, and i think we all know you know the graphic details of of the abuse that's my point you know the stories doing the round and yes i think a lot of it was later confirmed to us in in that in that trial as we followed I, I think, uh, Teresh, yeah. you know, there's something that was always on my mind, and I even asked this question to the advocate while we were preparing. What was the real reason for this mother and grandmother to assault Jamie to such an extent? What was the real reason that, okay, yes, there was abuse on the other children. There was abuse on both the mm. other children. But why was Jamie to such an extent mm. that it could have taken her life? And you know, it comes down to the fact that Jamie was fair in complexion. And, and it began to intrigue me that Jamie was beautiful. If you looked at her, she looked her appearance in comparison to the other kids. And I just felt that, you know, how does somebody ever do that? I mean, it just speaks to a sense of great depravity in the brain, you know, some sort of mental challenge or, a, you know, a psychological imbalance there. But I, I think, um, you know, and, 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 and when we look at the nature of the crimes and, and, and if you've been following, if you had followed it closely, uh, what emerged in the trial um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's painful to relive it. But I think you're going to have to if you're going to try and understand what what the problem was and to find a solution going forward, you know. Baby Jamie was chained. She was tied up, tied to, up the bed. to the bed. Yeah. She was hit with a high-heeled shoe. Burnt with uh, cigarettes. Burnt with cigarettes. She was... She had uh, sharp instruments inserted yeah, into her. Very, um, very painfully so, which she was you know, told not to cry about. And if she did cry, she was hit further. I mean, these are the things that emerged. And but, but apart from the assault, I think what is also very important is that she was malnutritioned. Yeah. So clearly she was being starved. And I think that if it had not been through the assault, she would have died anyway. Yeah. Because yeah. there was just absolutely no way that she could have survived. Absolutely. Having not eaten for days or weeks or months on end. Yeah. So I think in, in identifying what happened to baby Jamie, my question there then becomes to you is, what is this revealing about the nature of abuse in local communities? Is this what happens that, you know, not many of us know about? Is this the fate of many children? I mean, uh, I remember doing a talk show where we actually had video footage of a mother, for whatever reason, kicking her child, right? I want to ask, is this the common trend of abuse that many are unaware of? Teresh, I, I want to agree that this exists. Um, and I think that it's about time that community and society accepts that it is happening and that they should not shy away from it, even if it is your loved ones that are responsible for it. You must be able to stand up to this. I think it's important to understand that across the board, there is all levels of abuse. Um, and, and, and there are parents who sometimes come home and are frustrated because of the day's work, and they are not able to deal with their own frustrations, and they tend to take it out on the kids. And you know, these children, all they're looking for 
is some kind of attention, some kind of love and care. And when they don't get this, they obviously become crabby and they might, you know, might become a little bit uneasy. But when you come from a day's work and you feel that you don't want to even hear this child scream, you're going to bash this child until the child keeps quiet. And that's the reality. That's the reality. And stemming on from that then, I think uh, the, the, the major issue that arose this week as per that uh, that sentencing was that uh, what where, where was where was the community did they not hear this did they not do anything and we're going to come to that but i think let's just take a, a a bit of a break from that particular point uh let's now you know track that coverage in terms of um you know the actual telling of the story f- following it because ultimately that became our job here as the, at the SABC newsroom to to bring it to you and, and let you know that one of your own, a child of your community endured this and, and this was um, what you know society was experiencing at the time and, and reporter, SABC News reporter Minoshni Pillay was very instrumental in covering that. I do recall that she was, um, I mean, you know, I, I, I say this to her to date, the sound effects that you used on your baby Jamie funeral package, sometimes in the middle of the night I wake up and I hear it because that is how emotionally wrecked I think the community was and that is the kind of sentiment they put to in that funeral and I think Minoshni was there throughout it all. Minoshni Pillay, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Teresh, and good afternoon to your listeners. You know, I wanted to interview you and speak to you, Minoshni, to find out the, the you know, the, the, the process of reporting on this. And, and also, I know as a journalist, one needs to be completely um, unattached to anything. But at a point, you were confronted with a lot of emotion while covering this. Yes, absolutely. You know, we're taught as journalists to distance ourselves from our subjects and to be totally unbiased. But I think in the real world, um, we exist as human beings first before we're journalists. And especially in a, in, a, in a story like this and in a trial that spanned four years where, you know, um, the prosecutor and the witnesses and the, almost the characters in the story became people almost became our friends in a way, you know. Uh, We engaged with them for four years. It was impossible not to become attached, especially due to the absolutely brutal nature, not only of baby Jamie's death, but of her sibling's existence. And I think the latter is something that will remain with me forever. The fact that, yes, baby Jamie has passed on, but there are three other siblings that remain behind. And Mm. what does the future hold for them? What does the future hold for them? Yes. And I I think, Minoshni, in in terms of um, tracking the story, um, you continued. What about the story became something that you just wanted to see through? I think, you know, reflecting on the four years worth of coverage, and that's almost to the date exactly what it was, I think the one thing that will always stand out for me is, you know, there's a very fine line between giving your neighbor their privacy and being a critical eye for the for those less for the less vulnerable in your community. And due to the, the nature of the society that we live in with increased abuse rates, increased uh, rates of murder and rape, I think that line has become even finer. For me, I'd like to make an urgent appeal to all our, all the communities, all the communities that we ourselves live in, 
to, to not stand back and just hear those cries anymore. That could have been the difference between Jamie receiving help when she needed it uh, much earlier, days, months earlier to her death. Uh, and perhaps, you know, we ourselves are to blame. We live in these communities. What are we doing? What actions yeah. are we taking to ensure that the lives of these three yeah. children that remain are made better? Yeah. You know, Minosh, when I introduced uh, the fact that you were joining us on the program, I mentioned the... Um, um, you know that the, the the story you produced from baby Jamie's funeral and those bagpipes mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and the way you we told that story and the impact it had and I mean I feel it's important to say this just to um, just to you know identify the way you've tracked the story that story went on to win the Vodacom Journalist of the Year award I think it was in 2015 um, and 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 so my question then to you is. When you covered that particular day and the amount of voices in your package and the amount of support, interest um, in, in the baby Jamie tragedy, mm-hmm. and maybe a year later when I interviewed you about it at court, you told me those people who were there for the funeral were not there at court. I mean, you know, I, I guess Paresh, that's the unfortunate nature of the legal process. It's exceptionally long. I mean, this trial itself took four years. Now, one does not expect every single community member that was there in the beginning to be there at every appearance over a a four-year period. But what I'm saying is that there's there's a lot that can be done by ordinary people that does not take money, that just takes some compassion, you know. Uh, Like I said in that initial package that you're referring to, little girls are not meant to be in white coffins. And, and that's something that I don't think anybody will forget, but use that brutal memory now to do something positive. There are many other baby Jamies, and it's an unfortunate reality. And I think that's the greatest legacy we can leave her. Mm. I think a final question then, Minoshni, as you leave us, uh, and I think the, sh- the, the focus uh, specifically on what uh, Judge Mohini Mudli uh, pronounced in court for, uh, turns back to the community for a future perspective and I think the toward the end of the trial the community support and the community um, interest you know resurface reemerge as you indicated it's a it's a long lengthy process you can't expect the community to be there every single time there's a court appearance but there was a resurgence of community interest and support toward the latter stages of the trial um, what has been the sentiment coming from them are they eager now to to learn from this baby Jamie tragedy I think absolutely, uh, you know, definitely. And, and like I said, this would be the best way forward. Uh, us sitting here, uh, sitting, sitting here simply lamenting baby Jamie's death is long gone. It needs to be long gone if we're going to move forward and make progress. There are other children that right now as we speak are unfortunately going through exactly what that child went through. So instead of us sitting here and talking about it, get more involved in your community. And like I said, unfortunately, the line between respecting your neighbor's privacy uh, and getting involved is even finer. That's the unfortunate society we live in. Uh, but I think the Chassis community has been an exemplary example also of a tight-knit community that can pull together in the worst of times. So, uh, you know, there's pros and cons to everything, but the community has really, really done great work. But I I would urge them to now get involved with the remaining three siblings in whatever way they can.
Journalist there from the SABC uh, News Department, Minoshni Pale, joining us this afternoon. Thanks so much for your time. Of course, Minoshni tracked the story from beginning right up into the end in terms of sentencing. Well, we've got Brandon Pale in studio and he's talking to us about the entire process. You get a chance to call us now. It's 089-310-8789. Give us a call. Let's talk about this issue of communities getting involved when they know or suspect abuse is taking place. Um, it's something that the community has been trying to create and install. What are your thoughts on that? How do you advise this take place? We are reliving reliving the baby Jamie tragedy. And yes, if you would like to share with us any memory of the time of the four years of that emotional time, feel free to call us. Once again, SABC3 is proud to be partnering with Mrs. South Africa. Vote for your favorite as the SABC3 viewer's choice and stand a chance to win a VIP red carpet experience to the crowning. To vote for your SABC3 viewer's choice winner, visit the SABC3 Facebook page for all the finalist profiles. Make your choice and text hashtag SABC3 and the name and surname of your favorite to 35959. SMS costs 3 Rand. Free SMSs do not apply. Voting and competition closes 5th November 2018. T's and C's apply. Don't miss Mrs. South Africa on the SABC3 stage, Sunday the 11th of November at 7.30. The stage is yours. Season finale of Saving Our Marriage, our couples renew their vows in a beautiful ceremony witnessed by their friends and family. Paul speaks about the importance of family and friends holding our couples accountable as they continue to save their marriages. Don't miss the season finale of Saving Our Marriage on SABC3 at 7:30 p.m. On 8 December, EFC returns to Times Square in Menland for the final fight night of the year. The unstoppable Conrad Seabe and Luke Michael go to war for the number one contender spot. This Sunday, look back to the action-packed fight of the night clash between Seabe and Wade Sage. EFC, every Sunday at 10 p.m. on SABC3. Brought to you by SABC Sport. The views and opinions expressed on Newsbreak Talk do not represent those of SABC News or Lotus FM. Let's go to the phone lines now as we talk about the baby Jamie tragedy and going forward with the community trying to um, raise awareness and raise alarm bells with regard to any sort of abuse that they may know or suspect of. Louis Pillay on the line. Hello, Mr. Pillay. Uh, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to the councillor. And uh, good afternoon to the listeners. I think, first of all, if you look at most of these cases, after the case is heard, the people have a mind problem. And this is a continuing assumption. Now, if you look at the process, adoption, adoption process takes a very long time to adopt a child. You get a referral, you get interviews. But some of the families that are waiting for over 10, 12 years, they do not get an interview, and they are wealthy families. But I want to know from the child welfare or, or social welfare how they go about uh, adopting a child. If you look at the child welfare in Chatsworth, they can extend it because Chatsworth is 12 to 13 areas, and they could have extend branches over Chatsworth and to, to assist the residents. And going back to the neighbors, the neighbors should have sound alarm bell early when when the victims were 
uh, complaining to the neighbours. Have we got a network in Chatsworth? Have we got a domestic violence outline, domestic violence network? We've got two CPS, the Bayview, and we've got the one in Unit 5. What are they doing about it? So I think, uh, Brendan Pillay, I know you did a lot of work. I want to thank you for the work. Well done, Brendan. But we need other people to actually come to the party. Thank you. Thanks, Mr. Pillay, for the call. Patricia from PMB. Hello, Patricia. Hi, Karesh. Thank you so much for having this sad topic. Where we, mm. we, it hurts us so much. We need to talk about it and bring it to the attention of the listeners and uh, yeah, every in the whole community at large. It is so sad to hear of such evil, wicked things, uh, you know, being done to one's own child or children. And uh, I think there's much more to it. And um, definitely, I think there's something so evil that takes over because people in their own um, uh, right frame of mind will never ever think of harming a little innocent child, your own, especially an angel. And I, for one, even if if it was my own an, an enemy's uh, child or children, I will never think because the children are innocent. They are angels on earth. And, you know, to do such evil things to one's own child or children is so uncalled for. And I think they should really be given the punishment uh, they deserve to yeah. fit the crime. And they really, and they cannot say that they're not in the right frame of mind. They didn't know they are. Because when they can do all the other things, then they are in the right frame of mind. But yeah. when they're doing this evil thing to their own uh, children or child, how come then they don't know what they are doing? They know, and they should really being brought, should be brought to book and dealt with very, very severely and punished according to the crime. Yeah. Patricia, thanks so much for your call. I hear the passion in your voice there as you raise this issue about, uh, you know, meeting out a strong sentence. Patricia, thanks so much for your call. We really appreciate it. And I know Patricia has been very uh, instrumental in following the baby Jamie uh, tragedy throughout. So thanks so much, I think, for keeping the awareness going there, Patricia. Let's go to Selvin on the line. Hello, Selvin. Hi, good afternoon. Firstly, uh, well done to Judge Moini for the punitive measures. And uh, I've listened very carefully, Doris, to you and uh, Manoshni, and uh, I've learned something she said. She said, Jamie is gone. What do we do about the future kids? Are we going to keep, keep talking about this or yeah. ensure that but she's right? So what I'm basically saying is, uh, what caused it and how do we prevent it? Would you agree with me that religion is something that should be important, like religious groups going for uh, service buttons, going for groups, growing the children up in that pattern, that's one. Louis Pillay mentioned something. He said... Brendan is there and he's sorting things out, but is that being implemented? You know, people need to come to the party to notice, particularly youth, Harish. The people need to create more awareness. Why do we have to be the same people that always fall in? There's so many million people in this country, and notice is offering this media. So we've got to thank the media, thank the journalists, thank people like Manoshni to create the awareness, and we must offer our services. And I think the SAP needs to come to the party. They must respond. We need more people like Brendan. Lotus and Taresh. God bless you, sir. Selvin, thanks for the call there. Thanks for, I think, I think getting the message, getting the awareness. Devin Naika from Chatsworth. Hello, Mr. Naika. Yes, hello, Deresh. Uh, there is an Indian lady at the Chatsworth Center as you're coming out from KFC with the baby every day. I spoke to her on many occasions. If she wants to beg, she must beg on her own. Don't carry the baby in the blazing heat. 
Some motorists took umbrage at what I was saying and said, leave her alone, she's got a baby. But she uses the baby as an excuse to beg, and she looks like one of the sugar ladies. Then there's another young lady, very well-dressed, from Smarty Town in Welbidak with a baby and a napkin bag. She used to walk around the car park in Chatsworth Center. Now I see she walks from house to house in Chatsworth begging. People feel sorry for her because she's so well-dressed with a little baby. But she's also a sugar addict. She takes the groceries and she sells it. Her mother, mother-in-law complained to me about her habit. Now, when I speak to Metropolis, they say, look, we've taken your complaint. We've stopped them and told them to cease or they'll get arrested. But they stay away for a couple of days and then they come back again on the road. The other issue I want to bring up is foster parents. How do social workers leave children from the homes with foster parents without doing a careful social study to see whether those parents are responsible enough to bring up their babies? Most of the abuse are taking place by foster parents who just want to collect the child support and the foster care grant, but they have no respect or love for the little children. My fourth thing is... This AB at Homes, we're doing a sterling job, and they're still doing a good job of bringing up, I think, over 200 little kids in that orphanage. But recently something shocked our community, but it seemed to have been swept under the carpet where a little 8-year-old child had hanged herself. How does a little child hang herself in a home? And there was no report from the homes about what happened there. So I'm saying yeah. when custodianship is given to Great. people... They must look after the kids. Thanks so much for the points there. I think on those issues that's being investigated and I think those issues are, are, I think, not necessarily relating to the issue of um, this particular sentence as pronounced this week at the Durban High Court. Well, let's go to Brandon Pele now and so much for us to go through, Brandon. And I think I want to start off there before we we talk about uh, the whole issue of reporting and keeping an eye um, on... um, what's going on in your community, your neighborhood. Uh, let's talk, if we're allowed to, I know within legal confines, there's just there's certain things we can and cannot say with regard to this from an identity perspective, a juvenile perspective, but um, baby Jamie's siblings. What is known about them? Are they safe? Yes, um, they are, Teresh. Um, they're actually in a place of safety. Um, I think what was important that came out um, even during the mitigation of sentence, and I think many people may not have, have been aware, that there was secondary abuse. Yeah. Uh, there was an isolated incident of where one of the, the siblings um, had an incident while, while being placed uh, there. But however, that child has overcome that and has been receiving the necessary professional help um, that was needed. Um, I think what was important was when Judge Mohini Mudli was summing up and she said, when she's trying to draw you know, a, a strong point about whether the sentence should be related to the fact that the mother might still be able to have contact with her other children. Mm. And she said very clearly that um, the children in their, in their um, evidence indicate that they want to have nothing to do with her. Yeah. And that she felt that they were at a stable point in their lives. They were in school. Um, they were doing well. Um, and they've adapted, yeah. and so we should not then interfere, while because it's four years later, yeah. and and the kids have at some point uh, settled. Um, I think that the, the the younger one um, even does not have recollection of mm. some of the incidents, and yeah. I think it's a good thing, you know, because you need to have the child move over, and yeah. you need to be able to then get the child integrated into society once more. Mm. So I think you know many issues coming through, and I think uh, the. 
adoption process and, and investigation of, of foster care uh, has been a major issue. I just want to go through some of the issues raised here before we spend more time talking on our um, way forward. Um, interesting I, I, point, yeah. I, w- I want to disagree to some extent because this was the mother and the grandmother, biological. Hmm. Um, every other incident that I've been to court for was the mother, the father, the uncle. It was a, it was a, it was a blood relative. Yeah. It has never come out that there's ever been a foster parent. While there might be incidents, but I think we must be fair about this. Mm. Most of the incidents are the own family members, the people closest to you, um, the people that are entrusted in taking care of you. But the processes, yes, there is a process um, where they are all screened. Um, and, and it's a long process. I must be honest yeah. with you. I know people waiting yeah. for foster yeah. care. Well, let's shift to another type of process. And that's the process of actually safeguarding when a, when an issue is reported, like, say, uh, abuse in this case. And then you get the social workers at a welfare organization doing the reports, investigations around the neighborhood. Talk to me about that follow through. Is it strong enough? We've heard from the child welfare and they say they've got affidavits to say that baby Jamie was in a very happy space with very happy, loving uh, mother and grandmother. But of course, as we've learned, that wasn't the case. So talk to me about the follow through. I I would have hoped, Taresh, that somebody, uh, if not the management or even the board or the social workers of child welfare should have been there, um, either at the trial or at the judgment in terms of the sentencing. Because Judge Mohini said very clearly, this was a textbook case. Baby Jamie and the siblings have showed every sign of abuse. How is it that the social workers did not see that? Right. And I think, you know, she even said it and she even said to me, are you aware that the teachers and the social workers knew about this? And, and, and what was being done now? And I, and I go back to saying mm. when the child... I'll stop you there. Sure. What are textbook definitions that... Oh, sorry, textbook signs that a child is being abused? I mean, we know it, but let's just identify it so the community knows what to look for. Well, the very first thing is bruising, cuts, uh, you know... And often what happens is that the child would say, I fell. But clearly you can see when a child falls and the child is is inflicted on harm. So there would be bruising. There would be those kind of things. But also withdrawals. The child tends to, especially in school, will then become very quiet, um, will not want to participate. Uh, also, you would see that the homework is not being done. Sometimes a child would be crabby and not want to be at school. And I think there are many signs. There are many signs that will show that a child is being abused. Uh, But particularly, I think, when a child becomes very emotional, when it comes to anything, even if, if somebody screams at her, that's a sign because it's really abnormal for a child to just become emotional for any for just about anything. Yeah. So so those are some of the things. But right. I think in this case, I mean, how did you not see a cigarette burn? How did you not see bruises and cuts and 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 those kind of things uh, being hit in such a way where there was there was uh, physical evidence of it? But I think the point that we need to we need to understand there is that the children were removed, placed in a safe place of safety, and then given back to the grandmother. Mm. And what there was a violation already, and I know this because I've dealt with many cases, the perpetrator, who is the mother, cannot be living in the same premises as the foster care. Mm -hmm. So the mother came back to live in the same house as the grandmother. And she had access to the kids. Almost so what technic- was it's absolutely. almost just a technical definition there, but it's not changing the on-the-ground situation. And let me just tell you what it was. It moved from a child support to a foster care, which mm. means the grandmother was getting more money than the mother was getting as a child support, living in the same house, 
and and conducting the same kind of abuse. So definitely they yeah. have failed. The social worker failed if yeah. they continue to have the child living in the same premises. Yeah. Let's talk then about um, you know the follow through and in terms of reporting now, because we've had a call saying you know uh, they've gone to the metro police and have and have raised an issue of of, of a woman begging in a in a space and. Metro police says, well, you know, our hands are tied or we can't or they remove the lady for a, for a day and then she's back there. And then so in terms of authorities and their follow through when abuse is reported, because it, it's one thing for us to sit here and say community start reporting, get involved. But when you go to the authorities and you're not getting joy there, it's, it's, it's totally a deterrent to the community member who's expected to be reporting. Absolutely. Teresh. I want to tell you that in my uh, the history of working in the community, even before being a council, I was always I always took this very close to my heart when it came to child abuse and, and these kinds of in- incidents, particularly around gender-based violence and domestic violence. But you know the reality, and I'm not going to run away from this, I'm not here to, to, to tarnish anyone, but when you go and report an incident and the social worker then has the audacity to tell the person who reported it, and I'm telling you of an incident that happened two weeks ago, Mm. where I reported an incident and the social worker went back to say that it was this person who reported it. Now, do you blame the community? You can't blame them. In this case, it was reported that the neighbors did, in fact, inform child welfare, that the social worker did, in fact, come to the house, but reported that everything was fine, reported that when she interviewed the children and she interviewed the grandmother, it was fine. But to the contrary, it was not. Hmm. So I think it's important and we can't just say that we'll have social workers and then we change them or they resign and we replace them and that's going to solve the problem. It yeah. never will. Yeah. You've got to have people who are qualified and are doing their jobs accordingly. Yeah. Now, but Bra- Brandon, I'll stop you there. And I think uh, a report uh, I looked at, I think it was earlier this year, um, it was a media house that reported, according to their records and studies, that um, Childline receives about 20,000 calls from KwaZulu-Natal every month, children calling sure. for help. They go on to study that a bit more and say that most of these children come from Chatsworth, Phoenix, Pinetown, Inanda, Kwamashu and Umlazi. My question is, if such available data is there, there are so many organizations from the UCT to UKZN with uh, study groups and focus groups coming up with day-to-day statistics about gender-based violence, child violence, and um, you know the, 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 the lack of joy they get from the reporting. Um, my question to you is, you know, why is government or authorities not heeding these statistics and and an infrastructure that is needed to to, to report, um, you know, based on this better. I, th- I think what is important, Tarish, and you always hear this from the NGOs, that because they get partial funding from the Department of Social Development, that they will tell you they are understaffed and they're underpaid, etc., etc. And, and often those are some of the legitimate concerns that they have. But I think what is important is that there needs to be a monitoring body, that social development as the custodians of, of, of the service needs to be able to monitor and be able to then um, closely track what is going on. And I think for us in Chatsworth, we need that big time. We've said this to the MEC at the time of the funeral of baby Jamie or during the memorial. We continue to say this. There has to be an oversight body. There has to be a watchdog. There has to be a month-to-month case file that says, you know what, these are the number of cases we have. These are the number of reports. This is what action has been taken and where nothing has been done you must report as to why you must be able to you know 
the easiest thing to do, and that's what's happening, is that you, when you hear of an abuse case, you take the child, you remove them, put them in a place of safety, not realizing the secondary abuse. Yeah. Rather than having to, to, to deal with the problem. Because at some point, the child has to go back home. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think it, it just and I think we're going to explore this a little bit more as the 16 days campaign does does, you know, fall on our doorstep. Now, what are what is government? What is authority doing to really create better infrastructure to deal with this? To WhatsApp we go and um, text here from anonymous. The, ch- the child welfare guys quick to blame the community. They are not getting paid to do the job of the child welfare organization and community did notify them. Stop blaming the community and do your job. That's from anonymous. We've got um, Bina Ram Dhari. 20 years conviction is beneficial to the mum. She will get all the meals and clothing. Not much was done thereafter. Another serious case took place in Phoenix just because she used to um, urinate in the bed. That case is not heard of now. They need to be hung immediately and don't waste government money. Um, sentiments there from Bina Ramdhari. Uh, it's sad that if an individual commits murder under drugs, they are sentenced very lightly. If you commit murder in normal circumstances, you receive a harsher sentence. Raj sent us that text. Uh, good afternoon to you and your guest. I accept the sentence of 20 years with reservation. It was a gruesome crime, calculated and prolonged. I understand the complex mitigating factors that the trial um, and the judge had to deal with, but society has, has a hopeful of a precedent setting deterrence. I agree that society needs to be vigilant and prevent a repetition of this dastardly deed. We must be proactive in our approach. Children must be seen, loved and cherished. I would have loved to have seen a more severe sentence. Sean Gopal from Chatsworth, we'll leave it there with you. And yeah, I think interesting points coming through. Remember, you can call us very quickly now to talk to us about your thoughts. But Brandon, I think let's go forward now and talk about... um, so let's talk about, you know, reporting of it, community getting involved. Uh, a couple of years ago, when I think when you were a counsellor, uh, we did this story. It was quite, I found it quite fascinating. I think it was the knock on the door campaign. Yes, that's the gender-based violence. Yeah. Um, a knock on the door campaign. And then you also have a white door centre of hope where uh, social development set up this within the community. And you know that there's help and you can go for help. But I think we must applaud the, the work of community organisations, um, even religious organisations to an extent. So Social, social welfare agencies um, that have programs on, on gender-based violence, domestic violence. And, you know, you know, we, we're sitting here today and it's, it's going to be the start of the 16 days of activism. Yeah. And I keep on saying that this should be an everyday thing, Absolutely. not just November, yeah. December. Yeah. T- to that point on the knock on the door campaign, and I asked you this back then and I'm still going to ask it to you now. Uh, is there still that sense where, you know, your neighbor says, well, that's their house, that's their family. Who am I to intervene? To some extent, it still existed because, um, you know, I think some of the incidents become very violent when a person wants to intervene, um, you know, obviously if the person, especially if they're under the influence, then obviously becomes violent and people are a bit reluctant. But I think if you're living in an area like mine, yes, you can be able to do that because they are close by and you have other people. But when you're living in an area where the next door is, you know, 10 meters away or 15 meters away, it's difficult to be able to knock on the door when there's an incident occurring. Let's go to the phone lines very quickly and I'll ask you to keep it um, to make your points uh, about this issue and we are then going to wrap up our conversation. Let's go to Mrs. Naidu. Hello, Mrs. Naidu. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, I just want to say that in terms of uh, communities, Mm. it's not just a matter of you have to go to a social worker, whether it's from the Department of Social Development or an NGO. Yeah. 
as communities, we also have the right to approach the courts. And we can do that. I'm talking to your children's court. Mm-hmm. And whereby you put in an affidavit, you can remain anonymous if you don't want to know, if you don't want to give your details of exactly who you are or, or the fact that you may be a neighbor and you don't want to get, you know, directly involved. You approach the courts via an affidavit, the children's court with a form two, and you put out your story. The good mm-hmm. thing about this is that the court will then instruct a social worker with a time frame as to what needs to happen to any investigation regarding the safety and the care of the children. And I think that's the best way because truth of the matter is social workers, and most of them, not all, most of them will not do what is expected. And if there's no sanctions taken against such officials, it will continue. So I'm saying to communities, your best way of dealing with and to secure the safety of any child in a community is to approach the courts. Wonderful. Thanks so much for that advice. There you go. And I think more information, um, we'd like to investigate on how a process like that works. So I think uh, that's a great food for thought for us here on Newsbreak Talk. Anonymous from Johannesburg. Hello, Anonymous. Hi, good afternoon, guys. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. I'm good. Regarding yeah. the matter at hand, you know, regarding the judgment, I think all parties should be held accountable for, for Jamie's murder, very especially uh, I'm of a strong view that uh, the social worker also failed his child or the social workers involved, and they should equally be accountable for what had happened. I think passing judgment on the mother, it was a very lenient sentence in my opinion. However, I feel that to avoid this in the future, these social workers should be going through to the LK Professional Association where a case should be lodged against them regarding this matter. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Thanks, Thank Anonymous. So Appreciate your okay. call. Daniel from Phoenix. Hello, Daniel. Hi, Faresh. Thank you very much for your call to you and your guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to go back 50 years ago when I was a youngster, lived in Chatsworth. We had a committee called the Westcliff North for Local Affairs Committee, which was part of the child welfare. We were scholars in high school, and we had questionnaires from the child welfare, which to assist the child welfare brain visiting homes where these children are adopted and so forth. We filled in those questions and gave it back to the child welfare as assistant to them to carry on with the duty. With the short staff that we got at the moment, as we have heard quite a few times, can't we have volunteer groups like this to assist the child welfare, even those that are starting to be social workers, to work as volunteer with the child welfare group, go out to the scenic uh, counselors to get practical experience as well? Just a suggestion from my side. Great suggestion there. Thanks so much for your call. And it's so good to hear these voices uh, from the community talking about suggestions. Another great suggestion that came through here. Okay, to WhatsApp, let's just end off with with it quickly. Yasmin Roy says, um, I feel 20 years is too little. Please uh, bring back stricter penalties. And that's the point coming through there from Yasmin Roy. who can we contact in Joburg Anonymous? I'll text you privately as to who you could uh, contact. Um, do we know if baby Jamie's father is still around or not? Yes, he is. I've actually had, I've actually had contact with him. Um, he's living in Cape Town with his father. So he is still around and he has been in constant contact or communication with me. Yeah. Another sad text coming through talking about children. My neighbor was abusing her mother for five years and she died last month after the abuse. Sure. These are shocking stories that have come our way. But again, you know, I think that could have also been reported. Uh, Asha, Asha tells us we can't blame the child welfare. There are just a few who does uh, 
wrong things and bring the child welfare done. That's from Asha. And uh, I think this is from Selvin, if I'm not mistaken. He says, I, uh, I'm agreeing with Sean Gopal's comment completely. And Selvin goes on to say, we must start a children's foundation in baby Jamie's name to keep the awareness. Your thoughts on that, Brandon, a foundation? Absolutely. Um, I, it's kind of like Selvin read my mind. I, I wanted to say this, uh, you know, in parting, that we did set up the Jamie Memorial Committee at the time of baby Jamie passing on, and we had the funeral, and then we had a memorial service after that. And actually, Tadesh, this month of November yeah. is going to be four yeah. years. I can't, can't forget that. For yeah. baby Jamie. Um, and I'd like to start off this baby Jamie foundation. Yeah. Um, and I think anybody who's interested in being part of that, we can put some like-minded heads together, yeah. be able to, to conceptualize it, put it together and formally launch. And I think we should be able to do something about it. Um, and, and I said to the judge that we had started programs of abuse. Yeah. Um, in schools but i think there's not enough being done yeah and we have to do some more and yeah. how a better way to keep the legacy of baby jamie alive yeah by protecting other children yeah selvin goes on to say well he would love to help in an initiative like this i think two points i want to end off with now so, uh, with brandon as we wrap up our conversation two things came out very strongly from here uh social worker follow-ups yes and actual community members raising the alarm. Your advice on both there, because it seems this could have been make or break with regard to stopping or catching abuse in its tracks. The moment I had left that courtroom, I had um, contacted the MEC um, to inform her of um, the, the sentencing, but also to advise that we have to have this high delegation meeting. And I think, uh, you know, I said earlier in, in my conversation that we would like to have a watchdog body or an oversight um, on this. And I think it's important that social development plays the part and the role. So we are going to do that and continue to monitor what is going on. Um, and secondly, for society and community to become more vocal and active um, and lend a helping hand. I think it's important for us to run programs, um, workshops, and, and to go beyond that. I think you can't just stay within the confines of your home. Um, if you're going to make a difference and a true difference, that is, then you've got to start helping the people out there before it actually comes to a situation like this. Well, Brandon, we thank you for your time, for sparing us the time to talk about this. And um, I think we should just keep the conversation going on these initiatives. Absolutely. And I'm just making a final appeal. Yeah. Um, you know, make every child your child. Yeah. Uh, make every individual your family. Don't allow this to continue. And yeah. we must stop abuse and we must stop it now. Yeah, well, we'll leave it there with you. Thanks very much, Brandon, for that. Well, this broadcast, it came your way courtesy of the team. That's executive producer Salma Patel and Rachel Vadi. I'll be talking to you again tomorrow between 1 and 2 o'clock. So from me, Tadeesh, hey, have an awesome day. SABC News. Independent and impartial. Two o'clock, good afternoon. The Executive Secretary of the Council of the Advancement of the Constitution, Lawson Naidu, says it not deal to it, it does not it is not ideal rather to have so many former NPA prosecutors shortlisted to possibly become the new director of the prosecuting authority. Yesterday the presidency released the names of twelve candidates who have been shortlisted. An opposition member of parliament and former NPA prosecutor Glennis Breitenbach has also been sh- shortlisted. President Ramaphosa has appointed an advisory panel to identify potential candidates. Naidu says the many former and current prosecutors on the list are worrying. 
But I think given the, the fractious nature of the NPA and the divisions, deep divisions within that institution, I think it's questionable as to whether someone who comes from within the NPA would be suitable to head the organization. The interviews for the shortlisted former NPA candidates to become the new director of the prosecuting authority are scheduled to take place behind closed doors next week. The presidency released the names of the 12 candidates yesterday. Executive Secretary of the Council of Advancement, Lawson Naidu, says public interviews would have assisted in the process of restoring confidence in the prosecuting authority. I think that it's a missed opportunity in not holding the interviews in public because I think the public want to see scrutiny of these people to be really sure that the right person is being appointed to the job and is being done so for the right reasons. And we really need to see the breadth of experience and capability of these candidates before the public, I think, will have full confidence that this person is going to lead the process of rebuilding public confidence in the NPA. The South African Police Services is urging the public to come forward with information on cash in transit heists. This follows an exchange of gunfire between security guards and suspected cash in transit robbers during an armed heist in Katlehong, east of Johannesburg, this morning. Witnesses say a Mercedes-Benz vehicle was used to intercept a van that was transporting money. The suspects use explosives to force the cash in transit van open before escaping in two buckies. SAP's national spokesperson Vishnaidu says the suspects escaped with an under close amount of money. Security guards did try to put up a fight. There was an exchange of gunfire between the security guards and the robbers, but unfortunately they were overpowered by the robbers. One security guard is reportedly wounded from the exchange of gunfire. He's been taken to hospital where he's reported to be in a stable condition. We're saying to the members of the public, if they come across an incident of this nature or if they see the security vehicles uh, picking up or dropping money, they should see a clear of these vehicles. Also, we're welcoming any information to help us prevent this incident from taking place and they can contact us on our 086 number. It's a toll-free number. Meanwhile, police in Northwest have arrested a former police constable for allegedly assisting an alleged serial rapist to escape from custody in Volmaranstrad. The 38-year-old former policeman will appear in court on Monday. Yudumelin Khajani reports. Johannes Batsibide is facing 28 charges of rape and murder. He was arrested in August and managed to escape from lawful custody, allegedly through the assistance of the former policeman, reported to be his friend. Batsibile has now been rearrested by the Provincial Organized Crime Unit. The former constable will appear in the Volmaranstadt Magistrate's Court on Monday. Itimene Khajani, SABC News, Northwest. And finally, a private memorial service will be held in Sedgefield on the Garden Route today for the eight victims of the Garden Route fires. They died after being overcome by the fires in Farley near Karatara in Neisner. The fires that raged for two weeks left a trail of destruction in its path. Segri Chetty reports. The memorial service is being held at the new Apostolic Church in Sedgefield, not far from where they lived. The victims were discovered by family and community members after the fire swept through their small community on the 29th of last month. The victims are all members of the same family. The family has lived on the Sand Parks forestry property for generations. The victims include six children and two women. One of them was eight months pregnant. In total, 13 homes were burned to the ground in Farley, leaving residents with nothing. Still reeling from last year's Neisner fires, residents of the Garden Route and further field donated generously to the family. A funeral for all eight victims will take place next weekend. Segui Chetty, SABC News, George in the Southern Cape. 
And recapping your top story this hour, the Executive Secretary of the Council for the Advancement of the Constitution, Lawson Naidu, says it's not ideal to have so many former NPA prosecutors shortlisted to possibly become the new director of the prosecuting authority. For Lotus FM News, I'm Hafsam Kize, and I'll be back with the next news update at 3. News break. Lotus FM, powered by SABC News.